0: Hello. Right, yes, good morning. Okay, Romans chapter 2. If you could turn there, please. Okay, therefore, this is following on obviously from chapter 1. Therefore you are inexcusable, O man, whoever you are to judge. For in whatever you judge another you condemn yourself. For you who judge practice the same things. But we know that the judgment of God is according to truth against those who practice such things. And do you think this, O man, that you who judge those practicing such things and doing the same, that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you despise the riches of his goodness, forbearance and long-suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance? But in accordance with the hardness of your heart, impenitent heart, you are treasuring up for yourself wrath in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God. Who will render to each one according to his deeds eternal life to those who by patient continuance in doing good seek for glory honor and immortality, but to those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, indignation and wrath, tribulation and anguish on every soul of man who does evil, of the Jew first and also of the Greek, but glory, honor and peace to everyone who works what is good to the Jew first and also to the Greek, for there is no partiality with God." For as many as have sinned without law will also perish without law and as many as have sinned in the law will be judged by the law for not the hearers of the law are just in the sight of God but the doers of the law will be justified for when gentiles who have not who do not have the law by nature do the things in the law these although not having the law are a law unto themselves who show the work of the law written in their hearts their conscience also bearing witness And between themselves, their thoughts accusing, or else excusing them, in the day when God will judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ, according to my gospel. Indeed, you are called a Jew, and rest on the law, and make your boast in God, and know his will, and approve the things that are excellent, being instructed out of the law, and are confident that you are a guide to the blind, a light to those who are in darkness, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of babes, having the form of knowledge and truth in the law. You, therefore, who teach another, do not teach. You, therefore, who teach another, do you not teach yourself? You who preach that a man should not steal, do you steal? You who say, do not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who make your boast in the law, Do you dishonor God through breaking the law? For the the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you, as it is written. For circumcision is indeed profitable if you keep the law. But if you are a breaker of the law, your circumcision has become uncircumcision. Therefore, if an uncircumcised man keeps the righteous requirements of the law, will not the uncircumcision be counted as circumcision? And will not the physically uncircumcised, if he fulfills the law, judge you who, even with your written code and circumcision, are a transgressor of the law? For he is not a Jew who is one outwardly, nor is circumcision that which is outward in the flesh, for he is a Jew who is one inwardly. And the circumcision is that of the heart in the spirit, not in the letter. Whose praise is not from men, but from God. Right. So let's pray, Father. We thank you and praise you for um, for this day. We thank you and praise you for the opportunity to come together. And worship you together and to hear your word. So I just pray, Lord, that you would uh, bring forth your word through me today. Um, And I just pray, Father, that uh, all here would have ears to hear what you would say through me today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Right, okay, so the purpose of chapter 1 was looking at how guilty humanity is before God. Humanity, human beings have seen the... uh, Creation of God, and there is ample evidence before people for them to seek the Lord, to seek out the truth. Because what we see the trees, the grass, the wonderful creation, the rivers, the streams didn't just come here spontaneously or didn't just evolve over many millions of years, as many people would have us believe, but they were created. And if they're created, there is a creator. And if there is a creator, we should seek him out. And that is verse uh, chapter 1. And chapter 1 makes very clear that man is very guilty before a righteous and holy God. In chapter 2, Paul continues this theme, but he takes it into a different sort of sphere. In chapter 2, Paul talks about self-righteousness. Self-righteousness in terms of the fact that people think that they are right. In and of themselves, people think that they have it within themselves to please God. That they have it within themselves to be right with God. That they have it within themselves to be able to obey the law or whatever. Now the context of this chapter was that in Paul's day, there were people who may well have looked at creation and thought to themselves, yes, we need to seek something higher than than ourselves. But there were those in Paul's day who thought, who who deplored the depravity of those who were described in chapter one. There were those in Paul's day who were philosophers, they were um, writers, scribes, whatever, and they looked down on those who practiced the illicit. Sinful practices that were described by Paul in chapter 1, and these were known as um, ascites, I think that's how to spell it, A-E-S-C-I-T, something like that. Um, They were very self-righteous people, they were very, what we might call, snooty people, and as I said, they looked down on those who practiced the uh, debauchery and the depravity as described in chapter 1. And Paul says of them, you who judge, are you not practicing the same things yourself? Now, we've got to understand here that it's not credible to understand or to think that these people were literally practicing the same depravity that Paul describes. They probably didn't take part in the sexual orgy and all the rest of it, um, the kinds of things that Paul described in chapter 1. But we do have to remember what Jesus said in different places in the gospel about the sins of the heart remember he said those who look upon a woman with lust they have committed adultery if you have anger in your heart against your brother or your sister um unjustified anger you are a murderer if you steal people's reputations i mean we don't know what these people kinds of things they wrote but they in their self righteousness they may have destroyed reputations, and so they have stolen people's reputations and all that sort of thing. So they may not literally have stolen, but they have, in God's sight, in their hearts, stolen things. And Paul is saying that these people who are self-righteous, who are judging others, are just as guilty. Because although they don't practice the things, literally speaking, their heart is practicing them as it were and they would well I mean whether or not they literally want to do it they are guilty they are just as guilty as the rest so while they're judging people they are themselves guilty they see themselves as morally superior and they're self-righteous and they feel that they have a righteousness that is pleasing to God well, what we do have to um, say here, we have to we have to bring up a caveat here, because one might argue you should never ever judge anyone doing anything, and that's not also that's not what Paul is saying. Paul is talking about self-righteousness here, but we know that in uh, First Corinthians, Paul charged the Corinthians with removing from their fellowship the man who was committing adultery with his. Mother and um, his stepmother. So Paul was obviously judging someone there who called themselves a brother. So this doesn't mean to say that we don't call out uh, sin when we see it, but it's the attitude with which we call out sin. Um, humbly, knowing that we are in the same position before God, as it were, and it's but by the grace of God go we, rather than I'm better than you my righteousness is my own righteousness is acceptable to god and the fact is so these self-righteous men these philosophers who are judging others are in the same boat as all those who were committing these other sins they may be in a different part of the boat they may be in the righteous part of the boat but they are in the same boat nonetheless. And this is because they have all broken God's laws. They cannot keep God's law. It doesn't matter whether you even, if you are, you, you keep it technically. If there's anything in your heart, as Jesus said, you have broken the law. And so that's why they're all broken the law. And that means that all of us, before we became believers, were criminals, that doesn 't mean to say that we we necessarily robbed banks or whatever, but we were in fact criminals because we broken god 's law. Now imagine if you were preaching in a prison you might one way perhaps of um, reaching out to prisoners i don 't know whether this would work or not, but one way perhaps of reaching out to prisoners was is, is something like this something along the lines of hey look we 're all we 're all prisoners here no no we 're not we're all we 're all criminals here you're the prisoners I'm not I can leave <clears throat> you wouldn't necessarily say that but you might say we're all criminals we're all criminals here um, or at least before we became before I became a believer I was a criminal because I'd broken God's law and you don't you might say well you guys broke the law of the land you robbed a bank you robbed a dairy you, whatever you beat someone up and you got caught and you ended up going to prison But how many times do we feel like beating someone up? Or how many times do we get very angry with someone? How many times do we have things in our heart? So the difference then between us and a literal prisoner or a literal criminal is the fact that we haven't necessarily acted on it. But if it's in the heart, God still says it's it's a breaking of his law. And so, yes, we don't have to have literally robbed banks. We don't have to literally have um, committed fraud on a grand scale. But sometimes we do these things or similar in our hearts. And so that's why self-righteousness is such a bad thing. And God does, of course, um, differentiate between actual criminal acts and non uh, not committing criminal acts, obviously. If someone became a Christian and um, they'd been a criminal in their previous life, I think God would expect that one to go and confess their crime and go and pay the consequences by going to prison. But ultimately, as I said before, we're all in the same boat, whether we're in prison or whether we're not or whether we're this or that. We're all in the same boat, And before we became believers, we were in that boat too. And some in that boat are good people. Some sinners are good. They are maybe even humble. Maybe even nicer than some Christians. We don't, you know, whatever. Some sinners are bad. And you want to avoid them at all costs. Some sinners are self-righteous. But it doesn't matter because they're all in the same boat. So... Paul here is pointing to the self-righteousness practiced by the the Greek philosophers. And self-righteousness is sin. It is a sin. And it's a sin because those who practice self-righteousness are saying, I'm good enough for God. And they're calling God a liar, in a sense, because God says, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So there are many examples of self-righteousness in literature. In, um, if, you've, if you're familiar with Dickens either the, um, the BBC drama versions or, the, or you've actually read the novels they're quite heavy going but they're pretty, um, pretty good once you get uh, through a lot of the um, what today we would call waffle because um, Dickens wrote in the 19th century in a different style and it was more acceptable to have a lot more stuff in there as it were But Dickens portrays a 19th century England that is full of self-righteousness, a dark place, a place that is um, cruel, but full of people who seem to think that they are righteous and virtuous, right with God, and it's replete with it. I mean, you'll recall little Oliver Twist in the um, workhouse overlooked by, I think it was Beagle? Or the beagle or beagle I can't remember exactly what he was called but overlooked by a cruel uh, couple who saw themselves as virtuous but were in fact very cruel people who would have called themselves Christians would have gone to church uh, Victorian England was a place at least according to Dickens and Dickens I think very accurately portrayed the society in which he lived but Victorian England was a place where poor people were blamed for their plight they were they were called lazy and in um, and in what 's the word lazy, indolent, etc, that they were that way because they couldn 't be bothered to work, and it didn 't matter whether they were just young children born into that situation it didn 't matter what the situation was. People who were poor were generally blamed Although well, they were put into camps: the worthy, poor, and the unworthy poor it was all all judged by people who felt they were morally superior to everyone else and uh, Martin Chuzzlewit the novel Martin Chuzzlewit in that Dickens paints a great example of a self-righteous man by the name of Seth Pecksniff. Now Dickens gave people interesting names and they, they probably meant something. I don't know quite what Pecksniff means. But he was a very self-righteous man. But he was a very bad man as well. Now he was, one example was that he, he, he did something very bad and he blamed his, or put it on to his servant. And then he castigated his servant for the thing that he had done and he said to his servant, you have broken my trust, you have done this, that and the other, but I forgive you. And he was always forgiving people. People would come and, and um, call him out on his, his hypocritical, self-righteous behavior. He would take umbrage at it and he would say, but I forgive you. He really was quite a monstrous person, Really? that um, probably didn't even know it, probably deceived even himself, but he was self-righteous, and a terrible self-righteousness it was too. And then there's another character called Jonas Chuzzlewit, who's just a murdering scum who doesn't pretend to be nice, who's actually openly horrible. So you have a self-righteous horrible person compared to a just a horrible person. They're both both sinners. So that's self-righteousness as depicted by, um, by Dickens in a country that was largely Christian. In a country where people would judge you if you didn't do what was right. Um, self-righteousness has never gone away. We still have self-righteousness today. In fact, there's a great deal of self-righteousness today. But it's taken a different form Because the moral framework that we're operating under today is quite different to what it was in Dickens' time. In Dickens' time, people would say, I'm good enough for God because I do all these things. I live righteously, I blah, blah, blah. But you don't. You're evil or whatever. But today, people judge other people according to completely different criteria. And people who say the wrong thing about, say, a transgender or whatever are what they call cancelled and um, I've probably discussed this kind of thing before. But there's a self-righteousness. It's like people aren't saying, I'm good enough for God, because people who are practicing this kind of self-righteousness don't necessarily believe in God, but they, they are saying, I am good enough for society. If everyone was like me, society would be a much better place, which is a form of self-righteousness. And we see the great awakening in America in the United States, the Great Awakening, so-called, rather than the Great Awakening to do with being woke, and concerns the idea of social justice, primarily around race relations. And um, social justice is, you know, not a bad thing, except when it's taken to the kinds of extremes that we're witnessing in the States. And, of course, we know about the murder of... um, Floyd, no, George Floyd I think that was his name yeah, George Floyd uh, back in May and that set off, I mean it was if it wasn't that it would have been something else we know that it was about to explode but that set off a, an explosion of protests and, and um, got Black Lives Matter in the in the, um, in the uh, framework not in the framework in the, got them I can't remember the word <clears throat> but made them very visible is what I'm trying to say. And the idea that um, America was an intrinsically racist country founded on slavery and so on, and anyone who disagreed with this position was a racist automatically. So there's a, a great deal of self-righteousness going on, a great deal of self-importance going on. Now, we know the issues of self, of, of race relations and justice, etc., in the U.S. are very complicated, and we know, we know that terrible things happened in the past, in the states, you know, there was slavery, and we know that there was um, terrible prejudice in, in in the country as a whole, especially in the southern states, but also in other parts of the nation as well. We know that there was an Atlantic slave trade. One of the one thing though is that while we know that Europeans were involved in this, we also know there were Arabs who were involved in this kind of thing. We know that there were African tribal leaders who sold some of their own people into slavery but you never hear about that. You only hear about the guilt of the white people and there are those who are trying to implicate the Jews in the African and the um, transatlantic slave trade trying to say that the Jews played a big part but the evidence is against that. There were some Jews who were involved in it but so what? There were lots of other people who were involved in it too but there was no Jewish general Jewish involvement. So this is the kind of complexity that's going on. Yes, things did happen, but yes, people are using it for their own ends. But we know um, that it was a bad place for race relations. And as Dietrich Bonhoeffer said back in the 1930s, when he visited the States and he saw the way that his black friends were treated when they went into a shop or somewhere... And I can't remember how his black friends were treated, but it was very appallingly. And he commented that America will pay a high price for this kind of treatment of the black people. And one might argue that they're reaping what they've sown. Conversely, much was put right in the 1960s. So it could be argued that the US is reaping what it sowed in terms of abandoning its biblical base, on the other hand, one might argue that it never had a biblical base because it was founded on Freemasonry. So, as you can see, there's lots and lots of ways of looking at it and lots of ways of doing, of arguing it. Um, but be that as it may, regardless of whether the US abandoned its biblical base, regardless of whether it even had a biblical base, the fact is that today in the United States there is a debate about whether it is an intrinsically racist country, whether it was founded and conceived in racism, whether it was founded in 1619, which was when the first slaves arrived, or whether it was founded in 1776, which is when it actually was founded. But this really isn't a debate, because those who take the 16th position 1619 position consider themselves to be completely right, and anyone who opposes them is a racist. And therefore, we have self-righteousness at play, a strong form of self-righteousness, and a strong, um, strong examples of people putting themselves above others, looking down on others, and the brazen hypocrisy of this is illustrated by the fact that one of the leading exponents of what is known as anti-racist theory, um, Ibrahim Kendi or something like that, who basically says you're either an anti-racist or you're racist. In other words, you either agree with my theory or you're a racist. He, He wrote how something completely different... He wrote how his daughter came home from school and she said that she wanted to be a boy and he was shocked by this and so he got together with his wife and they, they decided they're going to make, you know, persuade her that being a girl was fine. Okay, so it's a completely different subject. But, the, but this tells us two things. One, it tells us that despite his strange racial theories, he's a normal father and, you know, when his, when his daughter said something like that, he, he sought to correct it. But two... No one, no one from the um, transgender community or whatever called him out for his supposed trans, transphobia or whatever it's called, and it shows that there's a hierarchy of power in the states. Probably now I'm going a bit... But anyway, it shows the double standards and the self-righteousness and um, so on. So anyway... That was what I was trying to illustrate. Self-righteousness today is alive and well. And while it has a different moral framework, it is still self-righteous. And these people are saying, I am right, you are wrong. Society would be better if everyone was like me. Now, moving along, the Jews are in the same boat as well as everyone else. Because the law cannot save the Jews. Being a Jew cannot save you in and of itself. But what do we make of the passage that says a Jew is one who is a Jew inwardly? Can we conclude from this that God has finished with ethnic Israel, those who are Jews ethnically? Can we say that um, God no longer has a role for Israel, for physical Israel, If you are only a Jew inwardly, then there's no place for Jews who are outwardly Jews. Maybe the only way to be a Jew is one to be a Jew inwardly. And being a physical Jew counts for nothing. There are many ways, um, you can see where this kind of uh, thinking leads. And there are many groups who seek to dispossess the Jews of their position before God. For example, there's one writer who argues No, he doesn't argue. He has bought into the theory, I should say. There's one theory about the fact that Ashkenazi Jews are descended from the Khazars back a 1,000 or so years ago, and the Khazars were from modern-day Turkey. And Ashkenazi Jews descend from Turkey, therefore they have no place in Israel. And this particular writer then goes on to say, okay, so the Ashkenazi Jews are descended from the Khazars, from Turkey. And therefore, the Jews have no place in Israel because they have no descent from there. And at the same time, I might add, that the Palestinians are descended from Jews and they converted to Islam. Therefore, the Palestinians are actually where they're meant to be because they were Jews. And the Jews who were there are Turks, so they should get out. That's only one line of reasoning. That, that's been debunked long ago, and the guy who subscribed to this view is just being anti-Semitic because he subscribed to something that suits his own particular point of view. If you look at the um, DNA markers for Ashkenazi Jews, they do go back to the Middle East, to Israel. But there are others. There are those who call themselves... Oh, there's, there's tons of groups who call themselves real Jews, and the Jews... Um, of today are impostors. It's the idea that the Jews are impostors, that they are the, that they are the devil's children, and all that kind of thing. Is really truly anti-Semitic. But Paul isn't saying any of that here. Paul is not saying that um, a true Jew is one who is one inwardly only, and therefore all Jews are somehow all physical Jews are rejected. Paul is saying that being a Jew is not enough to be saved. Circumcision is no use to you if you're not circumcised in your heart. And circumcised in your heart means to remove the dross, to remove all the bitterness, the the other things that are sinful in your heart, where where sin begins and where sin is conceived. The outward trappings of obedience... And the outward trappings of Jewish um, ceremonial laws and tradition and so on count for nothing because the law cannot save you. It's impossible to obey the law one hundred percent as we've seen before any kind of um, any kind of uh, I mean you may have obeyed it even in the technical sense, but your heart, your heart betrays you, so being Jewish in and of itself is not enough to have you saved. God still has a plan for Israel, as we know. The Jews are God's, still God's chosen people, but on an individual basis, a Jewish person must come to believe that Jesus is the Messiah. So not only does self-righteousness not save you, self-righteousness is and of itself a sin. And so, as I said before, that doesn't mean to say that you cannot yourself call out wrongdoing or heresy or bad practices or whatever but it can't be from an attitude of self-righteousness that you yourself are in and of yourself rather than from God are right with God that you have it within yourself to be right from God our righteousness is from God or it's not righteousness at all so thank you father for um for this day, where I thank you for this word, and I just pray that anything that isn't from you would fall by the wayside, and I do pray that that which is from you would take root in hearts and would have the effect that you want, uh, that you have designed, and I thank you in Jesus' name, Amen. Right, you want to do